0: This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, John Clark. Uh, John is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt on the Carlson Gracie, mixed martial arts practitioner and former competitor. I would call you a modern-day philosopher, MBA candidate and school owner at Broadway Jiu-Jitsu up in Boston. Um, you, your, your podcast is called the Please Allow Me Podcast, it's uh, getting off the ground, um, and you are the professor or team, team member to Lex Friedman. Uh, you're a friend of a po- uh, podcast guest and friend of this podcast, Paul uh, Carger, and uh, yeah, looking forward to getting to know you through the course of your podcast and, and being a guest on Lex's. I've gotten to know you a little bit from the periphery, and so excited to talk to you.
1: Cool, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah. Pleasure. So tell uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? How'd you get into jujitsu, business world?
1: Um, I'm from Connecticut, actually. I'm from uh, New Haven, and I grew up a wrestler. And, you know, you for kids who wrestle in high school who don't wrestle competitively in college and beyond, uh, back in the late 90s, there wasn't a lot going on, not a lot to do. So, <laughs> Uh, A friend of mine who was also a wrestler owned a restaurant and uh, we took some old mats and we wrapped them up in a camping tarp and we put them in his basement just so that we can continue wrestling. And uh, UFC was kind of like, you know, still an underground thing at that time. So we'd watch some of the fights. It was like this Bass Rutten uh, 12 volume VHS tape of leg locks. And so we got that and like, you know, we got in the basement and learned heel hooks and everything else like that. And uh, eventually I had always done some boxing and some judo. So eventually we kind of like uh, made friends with a guy who owned an Aikido studio. So that was matted and we went in there and trained. And luckily for me in like 1999, there was a jujitsu school open in Connecticut. And uh, I walked in there and the, the rest is history.
0: That's great. Uh, it's it's all, the, all the people who got turned on to jujitsu around that time when it was really just having its first, I guess, the first wave in the U.S., uh, I'm so jealous. You know, I didn't even know what jiu-jitsu was until the UFC, uh, and more specifically, the UFC reality show. And where I grew up, there was a Rodrigo Gracie school, because I'm right from outside of New York City. So every, I used to pass this thing all the time, and I thought it was like capoeira. I, like, <laughs> I didn't even know what Brazilian jiu-jitsu was, and I could have been doing it the whole time.
1: I remember I met Rodrigo the first time at a tournament in Jersey, like a, uh, as a grappling industries or a grappler's quest, sorry, grappling industries is contemporary. And he was the nicest guy I'd ever met. And he had the coolest tank top on and he had known (laughs) my instructor and we're all sitting there. And I was like, Hey man, that's a cool tank top. Literally. He took off the tank top and gave it to me. He literally took the shirt off his back and was like, "Here, you want this? There you go. And I, that was the nicest thing ever. And I was like, man, this jujitsu stuff is really cool.
0: (laughs) You still have that tank top?
1: I do not. Um, I think uh, I, I broke out of it up top a little bit. I was a lot skinnier back then.
0: <laughs> My sensei Nardu Debra was a student at that academy, and he has a sick vintage Hadrigo Gracie tank top. And I wonder if it's the same one. It's very oh, very yeah. cool. <clears throat> yeah, cool. So John, so you you're from Connecticut? Did you did you go to school in the Northeast College?
1: Uh, I well, I went to a couple of different schools because it took me a little while to. Um, find a university that shared my, um, thoughts on education balanced with, uh, my social agenda. So yeah. we had to give me a couple, couple of attempts at that. And then, uh, so I finished up in New Haven and, uh, I got my MBA at Northeastern up here in Boston and that's where uh, I, I went to school. It. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And I, yeah. I went to, uh, I lived in a bunch of different States, you know, along the way, Um, and then I wound up here in Boston when I opened my gym 10 years ago. So I I consider myself a transplant. That's probably a permanent resident of Boston now.
0: Yeah. Um, do you live near your school in Southie?
1: I can walk to my school in eight minutes.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Even since I left school, um, I guess, uh, approaching 15 years ago, how much Boston has continued to change and change and evolve. It's wild.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy. We, I, I I opened my gym because I was part of a team running a larger facility, um, at one point and they, they were just getting off the ground and they had tasked me to, to manage the facility. And so I said, yes. And then it didn't grow as well as we thought it would. In the beginning, there were some funding issues and you know, I won't get into that, but I remember just doing a little bit of research and thinking we're just in the wrong neighborhood. And this was in 2010 And they said, well, where would you move the facility to? And I said, look, I can just Google. And it says South Boston is the area. Look at all these projects that are under development. Look at the number of doors that will be, you know, in this community in five, ten years. And I was told, uh, yeah, we'd rather spend the money on marketing than the money on moving and transplanting the facility. And I said, I think this is a sinking ship. So I've done the research. I'm going to go do my own thing. And then, uh, you know, I kind of stumbled upon a space and we've been there ever since. We just renewed our lease. So, you know. We got another another bunch of years ahead of us, which is good.
0: Yeah, Boston's a great town. I I miss it. I, I loved it. I went to a boarding school in Massachusetts, uh, out in Western Massachusetts, oh, and then at? I went Cushing. Okay. You know Cushing?
1: No, but I went to prep school in New Haven, and sometimes uh, we play sports against teams from Mas- Western mm-hmm. Massachusetts.
0: Which school was it?
1: I went to Hamden Hall Country Day School.
0: Okay, yeah. So yeah, you were probably a little little south. Different leagues. I was like more north, almost on the New Hampshire border. So we we didn't play too many Connecticut schools. Some of the bigger schools, like uh, every once in a while, I play a lacrosse game against uh, Suffield, or uh, yeah. But those, they they were in the northern part of the state. Um, yeah, but just Boston. Boston is a great city. It Really, is it's a great it's a great spot, and it's evolved and continues to evolve so much. So you got your MBA at Northeastern. Yes. Yeah. When yeah, I was recently. when I was at Northeastern. Yeah. When I was at Northeastern, Mixed Martial Arts in the UFC was just taking off in 2005 when I was in school. The uh, Ultimate Fighter reality show came on. And I remember all of these MMA events, except they weren't called MMA. They were called NHB, No Holds Barred Fighting Events uh, in like north of Boston. And I wonder if you ever fought in any of those events.
1: Uh, So the the ones north of Boston would probably have been Club Lido or like… Yes, that's exactly it. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I never fought at Club Lido. I fought in the ones just south of Boston and Taunton, like at the Matrix. And we actually fought like right on Lansdowne Street. It was called the Avalon. I think it's yep. also Blues now. But we yes. fought there. So we fought in all those, those places. I just never got involved with the guys who ran the shows at Lido. But I've been there. Yep. I've cornered them. It's quite <laughs> a scene.
0: Yeah, I remember the ones at Avalon. One of my, fr- one of my cousin's friends from um, Babson – was trying to start this t-shirt brand. I still have the t-shirt somewhere. It was called Victory and the K and the O were, were big in the middle. And they were, yeah. anyway, just all, all these memories I have of, of of Boston and like becoming interested in the UFC. And and when I graduated and moved back to New York, that was when I started training in jiu-jitsu because I was looking for something to do. My lacrosse career was over. I was a competitive ski racer. My ski racing career was over cool. and I needed something to do. And I just ended up in, in jujitsu. So just crazy how, how all the you know the, all these worlds kinda collide. You stumbled into it at an early age. When, when yeah. did you know you were gonna make it your career?
1: So when I was training Jiu Jitsu, I can remember, I remember thinking it would be pretty cool to get a purple belt in Jiu Jitsu at that time. And I was like finishing up, as I said, I bounced around from school to school back then. And I was finishing up my undergrad and I decided I wanted to do one of these NHB fights. And this was right when they were making the switch from the open palm heel strikes to actual fists. So I did one of those and I was like, like most people, you only get one or two, one of the two reactions when you do an MMA fight, I'm never doing this again, or I can't stop doing this. And I could not stop and I loved it. And it got to a point where I was passing, passing up professional opportunities in favor of just being in the gym. I was like, yeah, I could take this job over here, but it's going to really cut into my training time. And uh, I would rather have been on the mat and poor than take a job and lose out on training. So gradually, like, you know, as you're training and you're learning and you're studying jujitsu or whatever, you're studying with people, and you're taking notes and you're taking mental notes. How are things done? I started to take notes on how schools were run and what were people doing? Like, what was the procedure? And I traveled all over the place and I'd be in and out of the city, go out on the West Coast. And I just realized that if what was going to happen is I was going to pass up all these professional opportunities at some point they'd stop coming. And so I'd have to find a way to make a living doing this. And so I started to pay attention to all that. And um, and that's kind of how I got into it. Started teaching classes for my instructor, you know, very early on. And, uh, you know, and then here we are.
0: Do you find it to be a hard balance between, you know, balancing the the world of, you know, the academy, dojo, student versus, okay, this is a business. It needs to sustain itself. I need to make a living from it. Like, how do those two worlds collide for you?
1: There's in my opinion, there's only two types of people generally that get into running a jujitsu type gym, right? There are the people who do it as a lifetime job uh, or sorry, a lifestyle job, which in effect, you're you're solving a problem for yourself at that point. How do I live my life in a way that I want to live it and make enough money to do so? And then there's the entrepreneur that looks at it as a business, something that can build and grow. Those people are generally solving a problem for potential customers. I think that for me, it started as a lifestyle job. I, I wanted to build this thing where I could just train all the time. And if I had enough money to pay my bar tab, I, that was cool. And now, and then as it grows, you kind of have to make a shift as you get older and you have like a bunch of surgeries and you're competing less and less, uh, it shifts into more of an entrepreneurial spirit. And then you have to begin to start solving problems for potential customers. You've got to be really careful with that transition there because people who are used to you running the gym one way and kind of, a uh, You know, having it be very a a very social affair, they also have to be transitioned smoothly when you convert over into you know taking it more seriously as a business. As you're able to train and compete less and less.
0: What would you say today is the makeup of your student population? I only know two of your students. I know super podcast celebrity. MIT brilliant scientist Lex Friedman, right. you know, a hero of mine. And then I know this incredible, I think, the commissioner, commissioner of mixed martial arts, you know, um, founder of a $7 billion family office. On the other hand, I mean, are all of your students, uh, you know, to have this kind of pedigree?
1: I would say that we have a really varied group of people in my facility. Um, Boston is a very eclectic town. And like, there are a lot of people that come here from other places, uh, you know, for education and some of them stick around and some of them have careers here, but we definitely have an incredibly diverse group of people on my mat. I would say like most gyms, most of the people are hobbyists. Um, you know, we have a handful of people that compete, um, you know, depending on what your, your definition is right now, we don't have a ton of, uh, like what I would consider to be serious competitors. We've, we've got, a uh, Kyle Bachniak who was fighting in the UFC for a little while. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a homegrown student of, of, ours. So we do have some guys who can compete at the high level, but right now it's mostly hobbyists. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that most gyms eventually transition into having the bulk of their students be hobbyists and, you know, there are basically three ways people enter a jujitsu gym. One is people want to think they want to be competitive. One is they're bored working out at their regular gym and they want something new. And the third is they think they're going to get some level of self-defense out of it. Generally one in three, the competitor and the guy looking for self-defense, they wind up just sticking around for the workout. You know, uh, jujitsu is a great form of self-defense, but if you're not someone who can apply it in the street because you don't have that, that, side of your personality. It doesn't matter what anyone teaches you. It doesn't matter, right? Uh, people who want to compete, a lot of people you find they compete at white belt and they compete at blue belt. And then right around purple belt, they figure out hey, I got to do a whole lot of extra shit to be competitive at purple belt. I've got to be strength conditioning. I got to be doing my cardio. I got to be doing my drills. I got to be doing all these other things. And that level of dedication is not necessarily for everybody. So right around purple belt, I feel like most people fall off and they become hobbyists and they're here for the workout and the social aspect of the gym.
0: It's a great metaphor for business too. I mean, everything that you just described about that describes a lot of entrepreneurs, they get into it for one reason, uh, the pay, you know, the rubber hits the road and they have to decide, wait, was this my hobby or is this something I'm willing to bleed for and decide if I'm going to push through the sleepless nights and, uh, chasing customers and just trying to figure out how to make it work.
1: Right. Right. And I think that there's a, there is, um, there's a lack of congruency when people think, okay, so I've been training in a gym for a long time and maybe I should start my own gym. Just because you train for a long time doesn't mean that a, you're good at teaching jujitsu and B you're going to be good at running the business of teaching jujitsu. So you need to kind of have some congruency there and some overlap to, to be successful. You don't have to be a world champion competitor, but you've got to be able to, um, you know, you have to love teaching in order to, to be able to run a, a business around teaching. You know, there are plenty of people are really good at jujitsu and just don't like the teaching portion of it. And you know, that doesn't make for a really positive attitude in the academy.
0: Yeah. The, um, when you're growing a business, you might've started growing a business because you were phenomenally talented yourself. It could have been like uh, equating being a great fighter. Um, some of the best business advice I ever got was from my father. And he said, when you have a team, you're going to have a team of A players, B players, and C players. Most of the players are going to be Cs and Bs. Uh, If you expect a C to act like an A, you're going to have a lot of disappointment. He said, your only goal is to get C players to act like Bs, Bs to act like As, and then squeeze every drop of utility out of your A players that you possibly can. He said, if you're always trying to fire everybody, you're going to get left with a team of nobody because everyone's always trying to fire everybody else. And that advice stuck with me as I've been building teams. And every time I promote a new person, especially a young person who got to where they got quickly because of their talent alone or their talent and hard work, I say to them, you can only do so much. So I'm not as impressed as you grow with what you can do individually. I'm more interested in how you can inspire and lead all the people around you. So in, 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 a, in an academy, it's not always that, but if you wanna to get to scale, let's say what Henzo Gracie has done, you need to have hundreds of black belts who can go out and you know, continue right. to build.
1: And the, the thing that you need to do, like in a, in, to me in one room is, say you've got a class full of, you know, you've got 60 people on the mat, and you're doing a complicated move. An instructor and even if he's got a good assistant with him you only have so much time to walk around to each student and put their hand in the right spot and do all the things you're supposed to do so it's kind of a gamble because what you do is you've got to identify the students that you think are most likely to share the information with the other students and you've got to dedicate your time to those guys because the rising tide raises all ships sure right. you might be a new guy off in the corner and i want you to feel good about it but the reality is as my time in this class is a scarce resource if i teach if i spend all my time in the corner with you the chance that you're going to help the other students is pretty slim and it's not because you're a bad person or anything you're brand new you might not know how to to help the other students you might not have the confidence to help the other students but this like four stripe purple belt over here that lives and breeds and dies for jiu jitsu if i show it to him he might show it to five people and two of those might show it to someone and so you can kind of like scale it within one room in that manner so uh-
0: I'm not sure if you know this, but this podcast is started as a, as research that I'm doing for a book of the same name, business Jiu Jitsu. and okay. jujitsu has been incredibly impactful in my life as a business person, because of the lessons that you can apply simple, simple lessons, like dealing with pressure. What does it feel like when you have a 250 pound guy putting shoulder pressure on your face and equate that to what it feels like when COVID hits and the government forces you to shut down, like how you deal with those kinds of situations. Right. But also, the thing that I love about jujitsu is it has given me this technical framework for improvement and getting better. Where I constantly seek knowledge, learning, improving, sharpening the sword. And one of the things that I was excited to talk to you about was you told me you went back to get your MBA to become a better and more effective uh, gym and school owner. So I'm interested to know like where you are in that process. Did it work? Did you get anything out of it? And um, you know like. Did learning accounting, did that help you or any, anything else that you learned?
1: Well, I, you know, I would say when I, when I, I went back to Northeastern and I got an MBA and I think that I would say a third of the things I learned are applicable to running a, a, a small business, which a gym is a third of them were awesome just because I was super interested in them. And a third of them were a waste of time. Um, I think the accounting stuff, I've got an accountant. You want, you know why I have an accountant? Cause I fucking hate accounting.
0: <laughs> right? so I hired
1: somebody for that. So I'm not going to ever apply what I learned, um, you know, from accounting to my gym, but I thought that we had gotten to a point where I had maxed out what I could do based on my common sense and experience and that I needed to get to another depth of instruction, um, to a degree when you, you open a gym and like, I mean, my undergrad was in communication. Like the only real job I ever had was as a bartender. So if you, to a degree, you're kind of imitating what other people are doing when you figure out how they're running their gym. And I thought that if I went and got an MBA, I could learn the principles and the the, the ideas behind the actions. And it's kind of like going backwards. I want to know the principles and the ideas, and then and I can extrapolate the methods and tactics that I want to use to get to where I want to be, as opposed to just being a cheap imitation of someone else. So I found that to be really useful, especially when you start to talk about... Uh, expanding to a point where you need to start asking other people for money. You better have some answers other than this is how my boy does it in Chicago. So I thought I might try this. You're going to have to have some other answers. Yeah. Um, But there is certainly a lot of things I learned um, in business school that apply to jujitsu and vice versa.
0: Yeah. I I was fascinated by your conversation with Paul when you guys started talking about the GameStop issue. And, you know, it, it was... For those of you who don't know what uh, what happened in the, over the past couple of months with GameStop, essentially GameStop is on the balls of its ass. There was uh, hedge funds that were shorting it beyond the market, the actual value of the company, and um, a group of redditors called Wall Street Bets. There's a subreddit. They created a short squeeze by buying up the position, forcing the hedge fund to sell, and then get covered by all of the the investors like uh, S A C, Stephen A. Cohen, 0.72, all those guys. So there was just this business situation that occurred and you asked Paul an interesting question about kind of like the, the everyday man, uh, the, the, the retail investor versus, you know, the man, the system. And I was just so fascinated by that conversation at the point that you had it. And I was wondering if, you know, going through the course of your MBA, you've had any advanced thinking on, um, especially through the lens of jujitsu. I, I, I see the, the, the three million people who are on Wall Street bets, ninety nine percent of them like how I see fans of the UFC. Mm-hmm. For every one, for every one intellectual guy who does the work, the research, is reading books, paying attention to smart people, there's ninety nine armchair, right. you know, dudes so, who just are following.
1: <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up Reddit because so like I'll read the Reddit BJJ forums and the Reddit MMA forums. And specifically with the MMA stuff, I'll read those on a Monday morning, and I always think to myself, right, two of these guys know what's up, and the rest of them are just arguing about the wrong thing. And then I look in the mirror, and I think, that's what I'm doing when I argue about politics with people. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm, I'm arguing based on what I hear other people say. Sure, I do a little bit of research. Now, the, the, the Wall Street stuff, same thing i mean i'm totally um oblivious to that i've got some friends that work on wall street who won't give me any information about anything you know because they're not allowed to but um i feel like reddit in a way the way it i mean for lack of a better term it did kind of manipulate the market where gamestop was concerned reddit almost also manipulates the way jujitsu schools are run if you ever Hmm. go on a reddit forum in a BJJ form and you start hearing this. So first of all, before I get into that, uh, you're still practicing jujitsu? Yes. And what belt Every day, are
0: you? I'm a purple what belt. belt.
1: I, so these guys, I see them and someone will type a question. And my first response is, you can't really train typing this question because this is a question you'd ask someone in your gym, right? And if you don't even have one person you could ask in your gym, n- something already there's already a red flag here you don't even have one person you could ask and then they'll pose these outrageous questions and then the pitchfork lynch mob comes on the, the reddit forum. you should you should tell us who this is and you should never train there and you should ask for your money back and all these other things and it's obvious to me that none of those people either a regularly go to a gym or b understand at all how a, a, a small business is run yet i hear other instructors acting based on the general vibe of a reddit thread because they're fearful they're gonna now get thrown onto reddit and that they're gonna get outed for like cross facing a blue belt too hard and he's gonna you know (laughs) cry to his mother on reddit or some shit like that so it's in a way these people who are kind of outsiders to the sport are on some level dictating how gyms are run and that's That's really really unfortunate and dangerous
0: yeah, I, I never, I had never considered that. Um, and, I, and I hope that people wouldn't, you know, I hope you don't run your business off of Reddit in the same way that I hope you wouldn't enter into a, you know, an octagon, having you learned all your technique from YouTube. <laughs> you right. know, like, yeah, that's a great, uh,
1: great analogy. And I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if that happens.
0: But that's, that is actually the reason why I brought it up just because I, I do believe reading learning, going back to school, this is the key. And one of the questions, you were, you were playing devil's advocate on, I, and putting the pressure on Paul asking me these questions about the retail investor. And my line of thinking as I was listening to your conversation with him was, the average retail investor is like the average white belt. You know, I wouldn't expect them to be able to compete or should they be able to compete with uh, a hedge fund who is effectively, if you're a hedge fund and Stephen Cohen has given you billions of dollars, well, that means that you are better than a black belt. It means that you're at the elite, the most elite level black belt, uh, like a competition black belt. So, you know, does Gordon Ryan have any business competing with a white belt? The answer is, of course not. So through the lens of business, the way to even try to get to competition black belt level is by doing what you did. And it's just, you have to keep going back and hitting the books. And In business, that's what's made me so successful. And and by the way, when I say so successful, through the lens of growing my businesses year after year after year, I'm not trying to claim that I'm any major huge person, but I have had over 15 years of continuous success and growth. And it's because I could either watch Netflix or read. And guess what? From the time I was 25 to 28, it was more Netflix and partying than it was reading. I hit 28 and I was like, fuck, I wanna make money. And I kept getting rewarded for learning.
1: Mm -hmm. I don't. So at night when I get home, I'll watch some TV. If I'm hanging out with my girlfriend, we'll watch TV. But literally other than that, unless I'm like really hung over, I can't waste any time doing something that's not going to make me better either at jujitsu or running my gym. So anything that I read, I don't think I've read. I don't think I've read a fiction novel in like 25 years. Everything I read, I have to be able to try and find a way to apply it to what I'm doing now. And if I can't do that, it doesn't necessarily benefit me in that way. So that's kind of how I look at my free time. Now, there's a there's some crossover in the Venn diagram there because there are topics that I'm interested in that I also think that I can apply to both jujitsu and running my gym. So that's interesting. And also just studying jujitsu in general, because it's what I love. Um, You know, that also helps me to, to especially with the younger guys to stay current on on what they're doing.
0: Do you have a group of guys that are just endlessly fascinated and just, they, they always come back with questions and they want to know more and where did you learn that? Who taught you that? You know, how can I learn more?
1: It's, it's a weird thing nowadays because I used to sit on the mat with my instructor and do that and say, where did you learn this? And I'd want, the, and i wanted to know everything, but information is so available for these guys right now that they don't necessarily have to ask me. And it's almost a blessing and a burden, right? So, maybe some like hot shit blue belt has an Instagram account with a bazillion followers and he's doing move X in one way. And I'm a fourth degree black belt that started jujitsu in 1999 and I'm doing it another way. But because that kid is on Instagram, that's the right way. And my way Mm. is the wrong way because a lot of newer students see things as binary. There's a right way and a wrong way. And the guy who's on the screen must be doing it the right way. Um, so that can be a bit of a burden, but you do have those students who, no matter what you teach them, they're going to come to you and ask for the details. They're going to come to you and ask, uh, you know, the, the, a tiny little kernel of of knowledge is going to kind of put them over the top. We do have a bunch of those guys and, um, you know, and there's probably even more that, that aren't, aren't comfortable enough yet to ask. So those are the guys that, they seek me out after class. And when I have to make the choice between the brand new white belt in the back or one of those guys to spend the extra time in, in detail with, I pick one of those guys because I know everything he learns, he's going to disseminate to more people. You bring up a, a really
0: interesting point there. And I find that in business coaching as well through my own employees and some of the people that, I, that I've brought on to mentor is that point, and this happens in jujitsu, they always say, but what about this? But what about this? But what if I do this? But what if I do this? And it's hard for people to understand that they're they're asking about like, well, what is the ocean gonna do? It's like, I'm not trying to teach you what the ocean is gonna do. I'm just trying to show you the principles of surfing. you know. And so the principles of surfing should help you navigate through the water. And yes, the ocean could do this and the ocean could do that. Uh, Business is very much like that and beginners They walk into my office and they want to know how they get to black belt tomorrow. You know, why haven't they got there? I've been working on my business for three years. I thought I would have already had $2 million or whatever. Ridiculous thing that they want. So you see in jujitsu, I find this to be so explicit. It's like once you start training, if you've become one of the people who has dedicated yourself to jujitsu and you're on the path of, of improvement, you submit to the fact that there's this hierarchy and it's, it's a meritocracy based off of, This person is a black belt and they're a little bit better than the brown belt and a little bit better than the purple belt and everyone's doing it at a different level. And you would never expect – the white belt does not expect to beat the purple belt. Right. But in in business for some reason and on the Reddit threads, they expect it.
1: Well, I think people are constantly seeking shortcuts no matter what the domain is. And you're in business and I'm in small business and we probably see a lot of the same – gurus pop up on Instagram, you know, that have never actually done anything, but they want to teach you how to run their business. Um, And people love a shortcut. That's how those guys make money. We do occasionally have the guy and he won't last and he'll come in and he'll say, and it's 2021. I just can't even believe these people still exist. How long until I can fight in the UFC? Well, what's your background? What have you been doing? How old are you? I'm 26 and I have no experience. I played football 15 years ago and I've been in a couple of street fights. Well, it's going to take a lot of work. And then they say, well, well, I was watching the ultimate fighter and I thought I might try this out. And I say, yeah, well, you know what? Uh, I was watching the Mets game yesterday. and I didn't walk down to city field and say, Hey, I thought I might try out this first base position you guys have there. It just doesn't yeah. work like that. And, um, and so those guys generally fall off pretty quickly. And it's the same with the competitor, the jujitsu competitor that comes in. When people see that there actually isn't a shortcut, that it, it's actually just a series of, you know, grinds, however you want to chop those grinds up, yearly grinds, monthly grinds, weekly grinds, whatever they are, everything is a grind and you've got to get through it. And there's no jumping the line for most people when it comes to that. I have one student who's progressed really fast. And people who come in twice a week, they say, "Hey, how did he get so good so fast?" We've been both we've here we've been here the exact same you know amount of time, and I say, "You've been members at the gym the same amount of time. You come in twice a week and half-ass it. This individual comes in six days a week, twice a day. Constantly comes in with good questions. Is constantly studying matches. I mean, he's outpaced you by you know tenfold at this point. So just because it's the same timeline doesn't mean it's the same amount of effort put in over that that course of time."
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, and it goes back to something you were talking about before with, you know, well, what did you come in with? You know, maybe he was a Division One wrestler or an incredible athlete, has endurance, is a runner, anything. And you're drinking beers, you know, four or five nights a week, right. just not, just not um, going to get there. Did you catch the podcast with uh, Donahar and Lex?
1: I did. I did, yes.
0: There's a part in that where uh, they're talking about uh, Gordon Ryan beating a cyborg robot and John is talking about the you know the heuristics of principles and being able to understand those principles quickly and even if you're a beginner he he makes the argument that he can maybe take someone a young talented athletic person and in five years make them a world champion and you have someone who's been doing jiu for 50 years and they're not going to be able to compete they know more but being able to apply the principles in real time is 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 more important in competition. I found that to be a really interesting, um, an interesting point on the on the, the flip side of what we're talking about, which is here's someone now now you're on the other side. You your, your glass is full. You are the black belt. You have had a lot of success in life except maybe people are coming up and passing you by in other places. And you're like, holy shit, wait a second. I was the young buck. I was the guy. Right. And now I've got to use all these different parts of my brain to reinvent myself. And if you don't mind me saying, that was one of the things that really stuck out to me about you um, because you were this MMA fight, you know, professional MMA fighter, black belt, gym owner. But I don't know exactly how old you are. I would guess late 30s, early 40s. Forty
1: six.
0: Forty six. All right, good. Well, you look great. Thank, uh, you. Thank you. So forty six, and here you are going back to seek higher ground and get learn more, and to me, that is the secret sauce. Like that is the thing that that builds success.
1: Yeah, I think um, it's like anything. In, in in that in that podcast with uh with Lex and and John, oh no, it's actually it was the one with um Gordon and and Joe Rogan, and he talked mm. about people. I forget which words he used, but he talked about jujitsu athletes resting on their laurels and just basically coasting on some techniques that, that, that they were good at and thinking that that will continue to keep them relevant in the landscape of jujitsu. And while, you know, there's some, some nuances there, I don't hundred percent agree with because I think that you can stick with one core principle and still tweak it and keep it relevant. Uh, he's right. You just can't sit on your ass and think I've achieved. Th- okay. Here's a great example. Great jujitsu fighters in MMA at the highest level who stop training jujitsu in order to train striking. You've theoretically got an advantage in one skill set, and then they abandon it, thinking no one will ever catch up to my level here. So I'm going to spend all my time on my striking. Whereas you get someone like and I'm not going to name any names in that category, but then you get someone like Damian Maya, whose attitude is like, I'm only going to learn enough striking to get to my jiu-jitsu and continue working on my jiu-jitsu because I've got a significant advantage in that area and I want to maintain that advantage. So for yeah. me, it's kind of like that. Like, I, if I don't have an advantage, I, I, I want to try and maintain advantages in other areas, but also like... Uh, build up my weaknesses so I can kind of like it's like a video game. You know, you can, yep. you, can you have an avatar and you can build so many categories out to, to some point and you've got to choose the right ones. So for me, yeah. it's always about trying to move forward. And you just it's the, the truth. It, this is true everywhere. If you don't evolve, you die.
0: When you said that, I immediately thought of when Ryan Hall fought BJ Penn, which I thought was an interesting match as it was. But Ryan Hall did that Iminari role. He put him in a heel hook and BJ turned the wrong way and i said if do anything but that and if oh. you, that's part of the modern leg lock game is like you just yeah. if you're locked up you don't want to turn into it that way and i said even someone at, uh, at a lower level would know not to go that way cuz you're going to immediately break your own knee exactly and so but again no knock on bj penn i mean he's an absolute yeah. legend and uh, yeah. I mean, guys, guys, incredible! But I just think about that in terms of, of, of evolving and and, and keeping right. getting better and better and learning more and learning more and getting being hungry and not just showing up for a, a brawl.
1: That's why competition in jujitsu, I think, is so important. If you if you are in a room with a group of people, however many it is, and you're training, and in on, in theory you're getting the same instruction from the same instructor, and you're applying the moves on the same people all the time, how do you even know what you're getting good at? And, but the more important question is, how do you know what you suck at? Because these people, you're adapting your game to the guys you're training with on a daily basis, but you've got other holes. It's just the people in your room might not be exposing them. You got to go to a tournament to expose guys, to to expose yourself to the things that you're not good at. And yeah. in reality, the, the problem is, in jiu jitsu you don't get a room full of in general a room full of guys who are professional competitors and there's a, an, an incongruency in the best way to teach jiu jitsu and the best way to run a jiu jitsu gym they're not the same if you want mm-hmm. to teach the best possible jiu jitsu to the to the largest number of people chances are your students will will your student body will dissipate to a degree because you have, to be, you have to have an expectation from your student. Your student has to be a willing participant in the learning process. Showing up without a plan is just exercise, and that's fine. You can be a guy who does jiu-jitsu for exercise, but you also can't act like you want to do jujitsu as exercise, but then turn around and say you want to win this tournament, because they're two very different approaches. To, to, to treat jiu-jitsu professionally and be a competitor requires such an active part on the student and, and most of them don't even realize that You can't show up, learn the armbar from your instructor and be like, hey man, why didn't this work at the NAGA last weekend? It's just more yeah, to it. It's, it's
0: very true and it's, a, it's an excellent metaphor for business. Um, I, love, I love thinking through these things. Are you still excited about you know, the prospect of growing your dojo, growing your academy? Like what, what do you think are some of the things that make your academy stand out you know, as, a, as a business and not necessarily just as a, as a school?
1: Um, well, I mean, for us in, in Boston, which is a, it's a city with a lot of people, but it's kind of a small city. All the gyms kind of have their, their own unique little reputations. And like, you know, we have a little bit of a, maybe a rougher training style than some of the other gyms from, from the feedback that I get. So because we've been around for long enough, generally people who come to our gym know what they're getting unless they don't know anything about jujitsu, which that doesn't matter then. Cause they have no, they have nothing to compare it to. So people who have jujitsu experience, they know what our style is and they come in. I think for me, the thing that stands out and it won't stand out to students because very few jujitsu students understand all the things that go into running a jujitsu gym is you've got to take care of the little things. And then the big things will start to take care of themselves, Um, you know. You've got to be there are still Jiu Jitsu instructors who don't use automatic billing for their students and they're sitting there every month punching credit cards in or hoping you show up with your cash. You know, it's it's a it's a group of systems to put in place to make your your business robust. And by robust, I mean um, difficult to see failure out of your business. People always talk about efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. Efficiency is great, but as long as there's a possibility of failure in your business, efficiency is kind of a waste of time because it doesn't affect the chance your business fails. You've got to build your business on sound principles and concepts and then work on making those things efficient, making your systems efficient. But don't worry about efficiency until you're 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 borderline impervious to failure. And I think that's one of the things that I try to do it's um, so not worry about, you know, streamlining things that have no effect on the long-term viability of my business. I'm trying to build yeah. a strong foundation first. And that, I think that a lot of starts with culture.
0: Yeah. I think it's all about culture. So speaking of culture uh, and getting outside of the comfort zone, um, I've heard you talk about your feelings about social media and Instagram and, you know, how it, you're an authentic guy, you know, you want to be in a room with someone you want to train with them. You want to drink with them. You want to have a real conversation. Um, I think podcasting is an excellent, you know, step in the right direction, especially long form for that. But I, I'm 10 years younger than you. I had a different relationship with the internet. I also started, I didn't start my life with it. I, I came onto it. I had to convince myself through this project of rejoining Instagram after being off of it. Cause I thought that it was ruining everyone's life. I, I calculated wrong. I bet, my bet was that social media was gonna be looked at the way that cigarettes were looked at. Like I thought by 2021, they were gonna be like, all right, let's shut down this stupid experiment. This was fucking terrible. <laughs> you know? yeah. And I, I, was, I was wrong. So when I decided that I wanted to write this book, I launched the Instagram account for business Jiu-Jitsu and I launched this podcast and it had a lot more traction than I thought it would, or at least expected it to. And so now I find myself with, you know, a, a small social media following and having to manage that and still be true to myself. And so I'm interested to hear from you, like you're now on this path and like, do you think that there's a way to balance it healthy without selling
1: out there's a difference between using social media and having social media use you a lot of people use social media as a way to um get their message out there if they've got a business or whatever their project is they're working on but then there are the people who are used by social media and like i think that's the vast majority of people you just become part of the noise of the scrolling how many people do you stop on when you scroll it's not that many, right? There's a very, very few people say link is in the bio and you actually stop and say, actually, let me check that link out. Most people are using social media as um, an accessory. It's it's building out some, some sort of a life where they want others to see them as, as something. It's kind of like, it's the antithesis to the 1985 postcard, the postcard which you sent out to someone when you went to like, you know, Disney World and you said, hey, grandma, I wish you were here. Now, social media is this thing where it's like, fuck you. Glad you're not here. Look where I am. And you're not, you know, and it's this kind of (laughs) attitude of like envy me and envy what I'm doing. And you find that, well, I find anyway, there's a different attitude. Someone who is using social media, I find is like um, product oriented And someone who's being used by social media is more process oriented. It's the people with the inspirational quotes who never kind of do anything with their life except for get a bunch of likes on social media. Like you have to have an end game when you're using social media. Otherwise you're going to wind up getting used by social media. The caveat is, I don't know that jujitsu would be as popular as it is right now without social media because so many people post so much about martial arts on social media and that's great for them. Um, But it's got to be congruent with what you're doing when you're not on Instagram. You know what I mean? So that to me is where I I have a disdain for social media. It allows people to be so dishonest. And when you're dishonest with yourself, it makes it difficult to be honest with other people. Yeah. That's a huge problem.
0: It's, it's a huge problem. And something that I've, I think I've done a pretty good job reconciling the two and, I had these. I had a very, very similar line of thinking that you have expressed, and I just put my head in the sand with it and I ignored it for a long time. Um, over the course of the past year and a half, I completely changed my stance on it, where I said I'm just going to use it how it's supposed to be used, and uh, I always had a business presence on it for my for my company, my my women's fashion company. Teams run it. But through the course of doing it, I have a my cousin Jill. Actually, she lived in Boston up until she just recently, and she married this guy Asaf, and he runs a, a creative agency. And he was over at my house a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about TikTok. He's he's forty years old, by the way, but he's totally entrenched in youth culture. Mm-hmm. He basically was like, "You're an idiot if you're not using this to its maximal effect, because right. it has you know." exponential networking effects beyond the power of anything that we ever knew. He's like, so he runs, um, all the digital and social for like Julian Edelman and Guy Fietti and like all these celebrities and, and NFL guys, and they're using it to maximal effect. So just think it's an interesting.
1: It's, it's definitely like I recognize it as a tool. Logically, it's the emotional component in me that won't let me fully embrace it. And believe me, what I'm doing right now, I've come miles from where I was a handful of years ago. I, I think of it a little bit like it's a little bit like drinking, right? You can go out and have a handful of drinks at some like, you know, art opening or some like networking effect. And, you, you know, you're using the drink. Maybe you lube yourself up a little bit and, you know, you become a little bit more friendly. Or there's the guy who at three in the morning can't walk home because now he's had so many drinks that it's taken him over. Right. There's a difference when you're in charge of the thing and when the thing is in charge of you. And I think it's, it's important to, to know where you are. like, if you don't know why you're using social media, it's using you.
0: Yeah, definitely. You're the product, 100%. Yeah. If you don't know the product, you're the product. I mean, that's the old the old adage of uh, of these things. Well, the reason why I bring it up is because, you know, I'm grateful that you're on here. I think the 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 community needs more voices like yours, uh, you know, people who are from the generation right before this all the people who were just born into it. I see some weird, weird, weird stuff humming, And I think that a lot of those people need jujitsu more than ever.
1: I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that, uh, like, you know, jujitsu definitely changed my life and it, it gave me, uh, a passion to pursue. Uh, I'm an emotional guy anyway. So like when I get excited about something, I kind of go all in. And jujitsu gave me that on a, on a, such a grand scale. And I yeah. think about that when, um, when COVID hit and, uh, there was a yoga studio upstairs from, from me and they wound up closing down and they wrote an email and it got me thinking and I like stole a little part of it when I thought this is just too stressful for me to continue to go through. I don't want to deal with this. I can do anything I want to. And then I thought grappling in general, wrestling, jujitsu, judo is the greatest non-human love affair I've had in my life. And to just walk away because times were a little bit tough. I feel like such a pussy and it's everything I like I preach against in my gym is like, you know, being tough and handling your business and and doing it with your chest out. And you know, everything's not always going to be perfect, but you got to find a way through. And that's what I thought of uh, during those tough times. And uh, and I'm glad I stuck it through and really I stuck it through both because it was a great love affair that I wanted to try and um, salvage. And I felt a debt to my students. Like I need to have these doors open for these guys because a lot of people say they owe their students and you do owe your students, but I owe jujitsu more than I owe my students. Jujitsu gave me a really cool life. And so my job I think is to teach jujitsu the best way that I know how to as many people as I can. And so that's, that's what I try and do and it's not always in line with what everybody else does and what they're teaching. And sometimes I feel like I'm right. And sometimes I feel like maybe there's an argument against the way that I do things. I don't really give a shit. I'm going to do it my way anyway until you prove to me that I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so uh, I'm I'm grateful for my students and for the opportunity to to do this awesome thing that I've been doing for the last 20 some odd years.
0: Yeah. Not perfectly said, Uh, John, if if I could ever have you back on again, I'd be happy to do it and catch up with you. Uh, If I could be of service to you, please let me know. And I hope I could train with you up in Boston at some point in the near future.
1: Awesome, man. I had a blast and my door is always open anytime you're in town. Come on in.
0: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
1: Thanks, Jordan. You too.